We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, we're rolling. What's going on? Welcome to Talking Buffalo, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you, as always, for locking in. Today is Wednesday. That means, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. By the way, when I say this is Wednesday, we're actually taping this on Tuesday morning. So Aaron's looking at me like, what? What's it? No, nah, man, it's it's Wednesday when this drops. What's going on, buddy? Yeah. How you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, you got that hoodie on. You should open the windows in your house a little bit. because uh, cold it's, in here. It's a little chilly this morning, but we're getting nice. It's going to get yeah, real nice today. It's going to get up into the 70s. So uh, I'm shorts and shirts, shorts and t-shirt. I'm ready. I'm ready for this weather. So it, it's getting to be that time of season. You know, I, yeah. I love it, man. Things, uh, things nice weekend outlook here for uh, the 716. Real nice weekend up in the high 70s, pretty much throughout the weekend. Sunny all weekend. Hopefully that stays. That Holiday day. weekend too, man. Music, music to my ears, man. You grill? Do you grill? Are yeah. You be on the grill. You're going to be on the grill at all this weekend? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, Probably. Yeah, I think so. I got a pork loin in the freezer. I'll probably do nice. that up. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right. So today we're going to be spending some time talking about OTAs for the Buffalo Bills. Do we have um, to? Are going on this week. Yeah, we have to. Not in fact, if you're watching us on the video side, and thank you again, everybody, whether you're watching on the video side, the audio side, I appreciate everybody uh, tuning in here. Aaron always has a, a little sign behind him. And today's sign reads 10 reasons why OTAs are dumb. Click here. <laughs> that's what I like. I like the click here thing. We all know <laughs> it's clickbait season right now because there's just not a lot of interesting stories uh, to write about. Anyway, we're going to spend some time. Uh, Aaron put out a, 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 I don't know if your tweet was meant to be funny, but you got some good responses from it. Aaron basically was talking about, you know, so what, what stories, overrated story, t- our storylines are going to come out of uh, OTA. So we got some responses, some uh, talking points there. I want to make sure I hit on. Um, before I get into things, I had Stevie Johnson on the show last week, or actually yeah. over the weekend. We taped it over the weekend, just dropped it actually on Tuesday, the episode. That was a lot of fun, man. I'll tell you, I, I don't know if you've ever met Stevie in person before. Haven't. Dude, I'm I, I'm telling you right now, man, I've, I've been doing this show for, I don't know what, five and a half years or so, and I've been 
you know, blessed. I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of media people and a lot of current and, and former uh, athletes. Stevie's up there, man, with the monks. Mm-hmm. He's monks the coolest, dude. Um, so I, I did the shows on a Saturday afternoon at Imperial Peach, which is weird because I usually do shows there on Thursday nights. But um, anyway, he shows up and uh, like literally instantly he walks in. And Stevie's one of the more popular Bills players, you know, in recent years. And years. Definitely through the drought, right? It's like him and Freddie. Absolutely, Freddy man. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, he comes in and people are just started chanting Stevie within seconds of, yeah. of him being in there. But anyway. You know, you kind of get a sense, Aaron, and I know, you know, at least some of these athletes, they're, they're nice to fans. They're, you know, they'll sign or whatever, but, you know, it's just kind of like, a, what's up? How you doing? Stevie's a different cat, man. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was really observing him in, in firsthand and people come up to him. He has conversations with people like kids come up for their autograph and he starts talking to them and asking them questions. He just doesn't sign the thing. And a pretty cool thing, too, is he has this green hat. Bill's hat. Seen, yeah. The corduroy. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got writing and shit on it. I always thought maybe, I don't know what, what the hell is on there. And I noticed this. Sometimes when a kid will ask him for an autograph, Stevie will sign. But then Stevie will take his hat off and he'll give the marker to the kid. And he'll have the kid autograph his hat. Pretty cool. And then he puts it on his head, man. Um, anyway, yeah, really cool too, man. That was, that was a fun show and a, and a fun interview we talked about. He's, he's got a new book that just came out, a new children's book. Him and I, Charlie Roberts, co-author one. It's about Freddie Jackson, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty cool book, man. So we talked about that, just, you know, his feelings about living or being in Buffalo for all these years because he, he's back and forth. He might be back here soon enough, uh, full time. Um, just, yeah, it was, it was a really fun interview, man. Cool dude. Is cool he, uh, he was podcasting for a while. Is he going to? I don't know. We, we, we didn't talk about that. Yeah. I did talk to him because a fan who was at the, the restaurant in Imperial asked, made me uh, ask him about Revis Islands. I don't know if you remember. He just seemed to do really well against Daryl Revis in matchups, yeah. man. I mean, I mean, Darrell was locking people down, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, yeah. Stevie had a lot of success against him. And he talked about on the show, um, he, basketball moves, you know, he, yeah. he just said it, it kind of caught Darrell by surprise. And we sort of. We were talking about Stevie the other day on Twitter Spaces, um, mm-hmm. talking about some of the younger wide receivers in the room for the Bills and saying, like, I think one of the guys brought up, I forget who it was, like, hey, just like stick them with Stefan Diggs and uh, learn to run routes like Diggs. And my point was, you know, Diggs is kind of one on one of one, how he runs those routes. I don't know yeah. if you remember that one against the Saints a couple years ago where he just like twisted up, I think it was Lattimore. Mm-hmm. Um, by the goal line and like not a lot of guys can do that and I brought up Stevie Johnson like that would be like saying oh just go hang out with Stevie Johnson and learn to run routes like him you can't like that's he just played with such a one of one style at the position that not a lot of it's like wide receiver coaches will teach you not to do the stuff Stevie yeah. was doing but it just worked for him it was unorthodox but the guy was open all the time and, and he had some real crazy crossover sick moves that were basketball moves that he brought to football and I don't think, you know, I know he runs those camps and helps kids and stuff. I'm sure they get stuff, but some of these guys is just, you could sit and watch them and try to do what they do all day, but I don't think anyone's ever going to replicate routes the way Stevie did them. Yeah. I mean, great route runner. And like I said, just a really great person, man. I was really impressed just sitting there and watching him interact with people. Genuinely happy. You could just tell how much he loves Buffalo. He knows that Buffalo gave him a lot, you know, and uh, I mean, and he could tell he's, that he's grateful and he's got a lot of gratitude. That catch in Toronto against seattle 
might be one of the coolest Bills catches I've ever seen. And definitely the only cool play to ever happen in Toronto. Like <laughs> <laughs> no, anyway, go check that out, man. It was a, like I said, it was a fun interview. It's on YouTube. It's on all audio platforms um, as well. You know, you mentioned, we're going to get into some Bills talk here in just a minute. You mentioned this being, you know, the time of year, the weather's starting to get nice. You're, you're sitting there chilling in a t-shirt and I am, I'm a hoodie guy, by the way, I'll wear a hoodie. I had a hoodie on just a minute ago. No, I was just walking. So as as often as I could get away with it. Plus, I mean, I do have, you know, it's a little cooler in the house. Sometimes I'll throw the air or some fans on and stuff like that. But anyway, something I'm noticing uh, on Twitter and especially my Facebook, my social media with my friends is with the weather. It's that time of year where kids are starting t-ball or baseball or softball or soccer um even football practice is starting for a little loop now and it kind of this is one of the things that I, I talk with you about sometimes and I, I get a little bit envious of you in a way is you know i my son i just probably the best times of my life you know, maybe the most fulfilling parts of it i should say at least um was watching him come up through sports you know mm-hmm. football and baseball were the two sports that he played a lot and it was this time of year where things really got cooking and uh man i really miss that shit and and you're at an age right now and your kids where the, they're going to be starting stuff like that and you're just kind of getting through that journey and again whether whatever sport it is they play or whatever activity it is that they do you just uh i'm a little i get a little bit envious of people like you right now that are going to look it's not all fun and games you know mm. yeah a lot of commitment a lot of sacrifice a lot of money you're going to spend a lot of stuff like that so i mean it's not like all glory and stuff right like that. right but, you know i just I, I get a little bit envious when, when i think of of people like you and a lot of my friends and i see their little kids right now that are starting sports just because it goes so fast it's like i feel like it was just a couple of years ago i could be talking to you about shane playing you know, just getting started mm-hmm. with high school football. And now you yeah. done playing, you know, it's just, it goes so fast, man. Uh, I'm torn on this one, Pat, because I love sports. Grew mm-hmm. up playing sports. I was pretty good. It wasn't great, but I enjoyed it. It was a big part of my youth and a really foundational piece for some of the stuff that you need. I think uh, some life lessons come from sports. Mm-hmm. I'm torn though, because it's, I hate to sound like some old crackety, cranky guys, but it isn't what it used to be when I was a kid. Um, sports, kids sports today seems weird. And I'm really nervous about getting into it. Um, I know that you can kind of make it what you want for your kids, but there's a lot of pressure sure. around kids sports nowadays and at a young age. Uh, and I don't like that. And I've talked to a lot of different parents about this because I'm nervous. You know, I Buffalo's a big hockey community and you see travel hockey teams for little kids, young kids. And you see these kids even if they're really good at it, they get locked into one sport because it's all year round now. Where yeah. when I was a kid, man, baseball season was baseball season. Football, like everything had right. seasons. There weren't travel teams were AAU and you had to be the best of the best to be on travel teams. Not anyone could just be on a travel team and play all year soccer and all year everything. I think it's good for kids to get multiple experiences and Agreed. not be pigeoned into one sport. And a lot of the times, I'm sure kids like it and there's our kids that are good, but I think a lot of the time the pressure comes from the parent. And yeah. wanting that to be good. And I think I think there's going to be a high burnout rate on a lot of these kids in these sports. My neighbor is a hockey coach for one of the local colleges and his son's really into hockey. He played hockey his whole life. And his big thing is trying to get him to do as many other sports as possible because he sees kids get burnt out by the time they get into high school because they've already put in so much time into this. And I just I'm nervous about that type of thing. I'm trying to make sure my kids 
or finding a healthy balance of like sports is cool. It's something you should do. We want them to participate in something every season to mm-hmm. be active, but not, not take it too seriously. Right? Like my kid is, did not win the genetic lottery. He's probably going to be five ten, flat footed, a little bit overweight. Uh, like that, that's just how he's going to be medium athletic. He's not going to be great at anything. So take it for the experience. It's going to be, I think too much pressure is put on kids to do too much, to be too much. And it, it concerns me. And then the way parents act with kids sports, uh, I don't want any part of it. Like coaches, crazy parents, um, people just go too all in. It's kids sports. It's just supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be like my, my kids got all these trophies and travel teams and all that stuff. And I'm a little nervous getting into it, Pat. I don't know how it was for you. Which I feel like you, Shane's age might have been like in between this no, period of time where no, everything got. You're, you're, I, I feel like you're speaking to me. Yeah. You're right. Because I, I, I saw firsthand with my son. My son didn't end up playing college football despite having 14 offers. Yeah. You know, 80% of that was just physical. He was just really beat up all the time. And he just didn't want to put his body through going through that year round. Because it's a year round thing when you get to a certain level of football, at least anyway, I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, 80% of that might have been physical. But I'll tell you what, 20%, I'll bet you was burnout pressure. And, you know, maybe a little bit here and there from mom and dad. But. Honestly, we're very supportive, and I was always very mindful of what you're talking about because I agree with you one trillion percent. I think you're a hundred percent right. But that pressure, when you get to at least certain levels, anyway, it's there. Mm-hmm. We went to Florida. Florida is literally three hundred sixty-five yeah. days a year. That's football year round and training year round, and you do get pressure, man. You get pressure from coaches because a it, it's just the competitive level down there is just on another level. Yeah. Um, coaches, recruiters, uh, colleges, teammates, uh, opponents down there. You know, I'm sure it's like that everywhere. I'm not just saying it's only in Florida. It's like that in Buffalo, I'm sure, and everywhere else. But to your point, it can get like that. And Shane liked playing multiple sports. By the time we got down in Florida, it was just football. Yeah. You know, and it was year round. And like you said, I'll tell you, I don't mind saying it now. I guarantee you that there was a point that, you know, he did get a little bit burned out. So, Anyway, people watching, listening, I think Aaron brings up a great point, man. Let your kids enjoy sports. Don't put too much pressure on them. Get them into as many things. I'll tell you one other thing, too, Aaron, a lot. And I know a lot of, you know, pro athletes, most of these guys played more than one sport growing up. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they did other things, too. So I, I couldn't agree with you more there as well. But, yeah, man, just and enjoy it. I think we get so hyper-focused on this period of time in somebody's life. It's such a small period of time. One day I, I uh, started playing golf at an early age and kids used to make fun of me in high school because I played football growing up and they, they mm-hmm. tried getting me to play football for my high school team. Like whenever we played pickup, I played semi-pro. Like I can play football, but my thing was it's high school football and I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to live in those glory days of high school football. I'm not going to be that great. I'm not going to get a college scholarship. I wanted to learn how to play golf. And I was like, I had a bunch of friends, tear ACLs, breaking arms, doing all sure. this stuff, having surgeries. It's like 14 year old, 15 year old kids. And I'm thinking like, none of these kids are ever going to play it down a football past the age of 18, yeah. 19. Like you're putting all this sacrifice, all this work, all this effort, which is fine. If that's the thing you love and you're good at it, I'm not knocking anybody. But like for me, all these kids were making fun of me. And I was like, shoot, I'm going to be able to play golf until I'm 80. Like this is a hobby, not a sport. Right. right. And so um i just think that so much pressure gets on on people that yeah it's just got to be enjoyed most people aren't going to get scholarships most people aren't going to do much past the high school level with those sports so if if you want to enjoy them do it enjoy them but i just think i think a lot of pressure is put on these kids and we don't kids don't aren't always able to tell their parents that 
right? It like is. That it's too much or that there's anxiety uh, that comes from that type of pressure. And they want to like my, I can see it in my son's eyes. I'm trying to have honest conversations with him. Like, you don't have to like the things that I like, like just to make me happy. Kids want to make sure. their parents happy. And I want to put it through to them. Like, hey, don't ever feel pressure to live up to what I, my expectations are. Like, do you, buddy? Yeah, I could agree more. And, and you know what? Not even just football, baseball. I see it too all the time. Yeah, High yeah. school kids, 13, 14 years old, they're throwing curveballs or breaking balls. You're at your elbow. The strength Can't in your arm it. is not designed to be doing this shit at, at that age. But yeah, man, you know, when you're first little kids though, and I see these little videos, little yeah. T-ball, and they're just smiles on their face and shit. That's the stuff that- That's like, the best. I kind of really miss. It makes me just, it makes me feel old. You know, you're just getting ready to start going through all these processes. The learning process is, so I love basketball. That's mm -hmm. probably my first love as a sport. Played it the most out of anything I played in. Uh, my oldest is really getting into it. We dribble every day yeah. going to school. Like, I love that. And I'm trying to not put pressure on him. And I right. keep having my wife, like, <laughs> pull me back because he wants yeah. to learn and he sure. wants me to teach him. And then, but sometimes he gets frustrated. And so I'm like, hey, come on, we got to do this. And then you know, what's the line? Where do I push too hard? Where do I, you know, provide discipline? So I'm working through all that stuff, but you're right. The learning process, like seeing him gain confidence is a really cool thing. Seeing your little guy come from like a, I don't know what I'm doing to like being pretty confident in something. And even beyond the sport itself, just learning to, to bond with other kids. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that chemistry that you develop with other kids by being involved in stuff too. I, I, I think that's important. You know, you mentioned basketball here. Um, so we're taping this Tuesday morning. Don't know if the Heat are going to finish off the Celtics. We'll, we'll find that out. But on Monday night, Denver finished off the Lakers, a, a four-game sweep. Uh, I don't think Jordan never got swept in a seven-game series, but I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I knew you were going to come up with something like that. Look, I, I, I know you're half-joking. At least half-joking anyway. Uh, look, I, I just, he's like, mm. I, I hate LeBron bashing. I do. Um, we we talked about this before. Nobody's changing anybody. I, I'm Team Jordan, by the way. Joe, Michael sure. Jordan's the greatest player of all time, so I, I'm with I'm with you there. But my whole thing is, every time LeBron does something great, it's like, oh, and this is why he's better than Jordan. Or every time he does, this is why he's not. No, you're never going to change anyone's mind if you're Jordan. It's a guy, generational thing, yeah. right? Exactly, it's a generational thing. But anyway, my my one take is this: forget LeBron, forget Michael, dude. Joker is the best player in the NBA, bar none, maybe by far. He might be the best big man I've ever seen, dude. Offensively, he's literally unstoppable. And I, I trust me, I, I've spent you know my life watching Hakeem Olajuwon and Shaq and Ewing, a lot of these great big men. This dude can hit threes like a like a like a small forward. He does everything. He he's averaging like a triple double. It, it's insane. I mean, not like a fill up the stat sheet. Who gives a shit? Because we lose all the time. Russell Westbrook triple double. I'm talking right. like legit big time moments, big time player. Dude, he just does everything. He's unbelievable. Two straight MVPs. He could have been three this year to give it to Embiid, but dude is, oh God, he's lethal, man. It's like, well, it's almost like he's so good. I don't think people even really appreciate how good he is. No, he is. I, so I'm torn on some of this conversation. Like it, uh, my brother and I constantly talk about is Steph Curry the greatest shooter? of all time because i think everybody sees the statistics the statistics and the way he mm -hmm. fills up stat sheets but i have a one point on this in terms of like generational basketball right like the game's changed it, it really has evolved and i think i think there are players that could have done similar things to what Jokic is doing now but they were not allowed 
to play that way. Like bigs were not allowed to play the way bigs play today. Even the 10 years ago, the idea that uh, you would have forwards and centers playing on the perimeter and shooting threes, like that was a new idea. You started to get Dirk really stretch the floor and having that stretch sure. four position. That was a new thing 10, 15 years ago. Uh, could Hakeem Olajuwon been a stretch player? Probably. Could he have brought the ball up and uh, pass the way he does Sabonis in his early days? Like, could have those players have been more in the, the way Jokic plays? I think they could have. I think they could have been those talents, but nobody was even thinking that way about basketball. It comes back to, I was just having this conversation about people crapping on the trailblazers for passing on Michael Jordan. But you got to remember the NBA at this period of time, nobody was running two two guards. There was it was very clearly defined positions. You had point guards, you had shooting guards, you had small forwards, and they were all different. They had different body types. So the idea of putting Jordan and Drexler together didn't even register in people's heads at the time. Like you have mm-hmm. to have the context of how basketball is. And so I agree with you. We've never seen the talent displayed this way that he's doing. Yeah. I think the most impressive thing to me is the passing from Jokic and the way that he can just bring the ball up, get that transition going. And he just always seems to find his vision. He's got great, he's got vision. great vision. Um, and he, it looks like he's playing in slow motion. It looks, it really, it looks like me playing down at the YMCA with a bunch of kids on the small hoops. Um, that, that three pointer he hit over Anthony Davis right at the buzzer when, uh, the shot clock was expiring pretty much, uh, game winning shot, just incredible, man. But you know, you're an NBA guy too. This, it's intriguing to me, but more than likely a, a Denver Miami finals matchup doesn't really, I'm not sure the league really likes that. I mean, Boston LA in which, you know, give credit to Denver and well, probably Miami, but uh, I, I wanted to watch a, cause just cause I'm an old school guy, bird versus magic, you know, LA versus Boston. It would have been cool. Just a Denver Miami. It's just not sec. It's not a sexy matchup. Oh, I disagree. I think, um, I think networks and leagues want the big markets to succeed. I think mm-hmm. fan, I think fans want to see small markets, teams sure. that haven't done anything before. I think uh, uh, the Jimmy Butler story is fantastic. You're going to get a lot of people rooting for Jimmy Butler. He is just a fun character in the game. He's a He's badass so good, dude. He's so good. It's such a fun story. Trash talk and everybody loves that. <laughs> but I think you're going to get a lot of people rooting for Denver getting that first one. Right. Like there's always that like, hey, this team is just now they've been mostly irrelevant throughout NBA history. This is their first finals appearance. Like, that's cool. That's good for the game. Uh, What the NBA has been lacking for 10 years or more now is real parody. And like you just know when you go into the season who are going to be in the finals. And it's like the regular season doesn't matter. It's going to be Golden State versus the Cavs for five years straight. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. And that was the big complaint whenever I talked to people that used to watch basketball. It's like, it's just too much. It's top heavy. You know who's going to win. Everyone's building these super teams. Now there's a real likelihood that this year you have two teams that are not super teams. In fact, they are built in very different ways than we've seen successful teams be built in the past. And so as a I believe I'm like a more of a basketball purist to me. That's way more exciting than seeing the LeBron James Lakers and the Celtics with a somewhat of a big three and some of the best players in the league going at it where you have smaller markets. You still have the best, some of the best players in the league, but it's smaller markets that aren't what you would traditionally think of a stacked teams. These are teams with good role players, good coaches that are getting the most out of their rotations. Like that's true playoff basketball to me. Uh, agreed. And I do like Denver, especially Denver, you know, their best couple players are drafted and, you know, these yeah. are kind of low key 
veteran pieces that they put together. By the way, Joker was the 41st pick of the 2014 draft. He wasn't even a first-round pick, dude. He was a mm-hmm. second-round pick. That's just uh, insane, man. Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. It, it should be a fun matchup. I just don't think the league is too excited about it. But anyway, sure. uh, DeAndre Hopkins, got to bring him up real quick, too. Yeah. This is just shit that won't die, man. It's just ne- never going to die. Mm-hmm. OBJ to of fair, last year. To be fair, this ain't fans like Patrick and Aaron or you know content creators like us bringing this shit up. It's not mainstream media bringing this shit up is DeAndre Hopkins who's bringing this shit up. He was on that I Am Athlete podcast and he was asked point blank, you know, um, guys he'd like to catch passes from. And quite literally, the first person he said was Josh Allen. So it's like, you know, that just ignites, uh, I don't want to say trade rumors because, you know, that's him talking, not Buffalo, but he clearly, dude, he wants to be, there's no denying this. The, the guy would like to be in Buffalo and it's kind of, what a great player to want to play for the Buffalo Bills, you know. Um, your partner uh, on Cover One uh, on your podcast, um, Greg, put out a tweet about let's just pretend, and we've done this before, but pretend that the Bills wanted to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. And he talked about you had to take out his initial contract at trade unless Arizona would take out money. Then you could restructure. But he was talking about between, I'm looking at it right now, between Deion Dawkins, Trey White, Dequan, between restructuring them, and extending Daquan Jones, Micah Hyde, or Jerron Johnson, you'd have to do four of those five scenarios to come right. up with the money to be able to, to take on that contract. It's, it's just the guy talking you know, with his boys on a podcast that, hey, it'd be cool to catch passes from Josh and nothing more. You think it's, no, mm, it's a mix, right? Uh, so I'll push back a little bit to your point of like it's coming from DeAndre. He was specifically asked. They were probing him with some questions of, sure. I think, um, if... I'm going to make an assumption here that DeAndre's team is not done trying to get him out of Arizona. And they, this is a push in that direction. He's not attending OTAs. He's going to work out in Toronto, which is fine. There's not really a story behind that. Mm-hmm. Diggs might not show up to OTAs. I don't know. Um, and I'm not going to care either way. Right. But some of the questions seemed a little pointed. And Brandon Marshall made a point to talk about him demanding his release from the Jets so that he could go seek out, uh, you know, at that point in his career. And they talked about that a lot to Hopkins. Like, hey, you're getting to the point of your career. Do you want to thro- get thrown to by a young rookie QB anymore? They're asking about some of the rookie QBs. And he's like, no, I don't want that. Like, you know, what are the things you are looking for in your career at this point? They kept, There was just a lot of that sort of, you know, pushing him towards making some of these comments. And I... I the wanting to play with Josh Allen, obviously, we're going to draw that connection. He even said, you know, in the early trade things, the only two teams he really heard about was the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. So I think, yes, he would want to play for the Buffalo Bills. I'm sure there are other teams on his list that he'd be willing to go play for. But but Buffalo Bills should be on the top of any skill position players list. They are potent offense. They are pass first offense. They have Josh Allen, who by every single metric and standard is a top five, top three quarterback in the league. Sure. Even with how wonky um, the offense looked last year, he's still a top three quarterback by almost every measure. And so of course, he's going to want to play for a team like that. He also said, you know, obviously, I'd love to play for Patrick Mahomes and all these other top quarterbacks, too. So I don't know. Some of it we got to see. I think the most likely scenario is there. I don't think a trade is very likely to Greg's point. Just a lot of stuff has to happen for that to even become a possibility for the Bills. And they really have to leverage some of those deals. And I know they are willing to. I don't know that they want to. Uh, I 
think the way the most likely scenario that this plays out where DeAndre Hopkins plays anywhere but Arizona is them actually giving him the release that he wants. And then he can go out and find a contract with a team. And then I think Buffalo is really in play there. If it becomes he gets released, it's Buffalo and KC. And I, but I think Buffalo would have more of a appeal and draw to him with the way this offense is set up right now. And he even talked about it being able to play with that other wide receiver to get him open. You got Diggs right there. If DeAndre Hopkins were in play, whether it was a trade, which I do not see a trade happening. I'm just going to throw that out there. Or he does eventually get released and he's interested in coming to Buffalo or the interest is mutual. Let's just assume that were to happen. After the draft and after what the Bills did, um, drafting Dalton Kincaid in the first round, who's probably going to play a lot of Mm -hmm. big slot. At this point, if you do bring in DeAndre Hopkins, trade or um, free agency or whatever you want to call it, do you got to get rid of Gabe Davis? Can you have both of them on the roster? How do you bring in DeAndre Hopkins with Diggs, with Kincaid, with Knox? and still have Gabe Davis in the pick or in the mix. I, I, my first thought was if the Bills were to trade for DeAndre Hopkins, I want to said this before the draft, but now after the draft, I would almost be like Gabe Davis needs to be part of that trade. He'd have to go to Arizona. Or if they were to sign him as a free agent, you, you try to move him somewhere else. What do you think, man? Do you think, do you think this is a team that could bring in Hopkins and still have Gabe Davis? Because I just don't see it at this point. Well, one, I'm okay with that problem. Right. Like having trying to find we have too many weapons and we got to figure out how to use them all. That's a good problem to have. I'm not sure what the trade value you would get for Gabe Davis, but maybe the point is you just get whatever you can and stockpile some picks. This team loves Gabe Davis. They really do. They like him a lot more than the base does. Uh, So I don't know. I'm torn on this. I'd be willing to just keep them and have the problem of having too many good wide receivers. You still would have Diggs and Hopkins being up at that age where injuries start to happen, you start to run into a wall. Maybe the plan would be more, hey, with Diggs and Hopkins, we're going to do a little bit of load management here throughout the season and just ramp them into being ready for December, January, February football versus giving them a high percentage of snaps in September, October, November, when you know you can win without that. You have a young player in Gabe Davis that the best case scenario for the Buffalo Bills is Gabe Davis, AJ Epinesa, uh, Ed Oliver, all these guys that are coming up on these expiring deals have yeah. pr- have productive years. The best thing that could happen is they have productive years that translates to helping the Bills win games, and then they go on and get inflated contracts in the offseason. And then we're playing in comp pick formula again, year in and year out, where that comp is going to be pretty big, the one that you got for Tremaine Edmonds. And going forward, you know, being stockpiled some picks into next year, if he can get more picks going into the future, that's how he's going to be able to continue to make trade-ups from the late first round back up into the mids and move around the board or be able to, whenever a DeAndre Hopkins type deal comes up, have some stockpile of picks that, Hey, we can move some of this stuff. So uh, it's an interesting problem to have, but man, these are the kind of problems I've won the whole drought. These are the problems I wanted. Like we're, Hey, we're too flush at wide receiver and we're no longer relying on undrafted free agents to come in and make a a, impact here. We're trying to figure out how are they going to keep all the guys that they have on the roster and are they going to have to trade some? we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, I am back with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. For the break, we were talking about DeAndre Hopkins. I, I won't say it's a 0% chance, 10%. I think the Bills are high enough on Gabe Davis that they're good with going with what they got to get. I would have put that percentage higher, and maybe you could have all three guys, Diggs, Davis, and uh, and Gabe working in before the draft. But after that, I'm just uh, I'm not as sold on that. Anyway, OTAs this week, man. Um, overrated <laughs> i don't know any other way to say it it's just so overrated i understand though media fans we just want to sink our teeth into literally anything you know you got after the season you get free agency and then after free agency you get the draft and now you got this big lull where nothing happens really is significant yeah. before training camp so anything that you can get your eyes or your ears on you want to sink your teeth into so i get it from that aspect but still i i think and i know you think too much stock is put into freaking OTA. So I thought I good. Yeah. My, I, it's an important part of the process. It is important for the players. I don't mm. want, I think OTAs are dumb. I think they're dumb for media. I think they're dumb for fans. I don't think you can draw any speculation out of it. The every Tuesday, the media is going to be there. The bills are going to give them absolutely nothing of substance. Correct. Uh, that is going to matter. And anything that people see, they're going to be like, Oh my God. Uh, Bates is it playing a tackle and everybody's going to freak out. Well, Aaron Cromer likes to try guys out of different positions this time of year to get them to know this stuff. Mm -hmm. The real stuff is happening in the training room, in the film room, breaking down that stuff. That's where again, these young guys up to speed veterans don't need OTAs. Uh, the DeAndre Hopkins talked about that. Like you get to a certain point in your career where yes, NFL trainers are great. All this stuff's great, but you get to a certain point where you know your body, you know what you need to do to ramp up to the season. You don't need to be there. You don't need to do yeah. that unless you have a new coaching staff or whatever it is. You need to learn a whole new system, which on defense, the bills might have some of that going on, but there is going to be too many things written about. We need to keep an eye on this big uh, roster position battle. Like that stuff's not shaking out until pads get on straight right. up. Sean McDermott is not giving it like he might put Dane Jackson ahead of somebody on the depth chart going into OTAs and people will see, oh, so-and-so lined up at cornerback two first. Doesn't matter. Totally irrelevant. None of it matters. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's no speculation to be driven from that. 
um, where guys line up on the offensive line, where Dalton Kincaid's lining up. Like it is all kind of trial and error, seeing how things work, putting things together. And definitely in the yeah. media portions, they're not going to give you anything that they are actually trying to do or, or showcase. Again, a lot of this isn't even those first few days at training camp is really still the ramp up period until pads come on those real competitions begin. I agree. I, I kind of had a smirk on my face while you're talking because I'm thinking in my mind because I know these guys and, and these women. And no matter what we say right now, I know that the Sal Capaccios and the Joe Biscalias and the Maparinos and the Jay Scurcies, all these guys are going to write stories pretty much about everything. They have to. It's nothing personal. No, 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 oh, no, They no. don't have to. Actually, I'm going to take that back. They don't have to because they could just talk about there doesn't have to be the additional like speculation of like, oh, this is the thing everybody needs to keep their eye on on this roster battle at OTAs. They could just mm -hmm. talk about what OTAs are and what it means. It doesn't have to be speculative. You don't have to write articles that make people click. They probably get pressure from editors and people above them. But sure. right now there is a, I don't know how to say this. There's a big pushback to what traditional media thinks the consumer wants and what the consumer actually wants. And Pat McAfee's like a big example of you saw that New York Post article of like, oh, the ESPN's doing something so stupid and getting Pat McAfee. It's like you guys don't even understand what your consumers are really looking for. You're just looking at data and seeing clicks and mm -hmm. just, hey, how do we get more of those? And it clicks aren't always necessarily in line with what people are truly looking for for content. I agree. That's a fair point. Well, you put out a tweet and uh you said, I can't wait to see what something along the lines. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but something about just training camp, you know, what overrated storylines do we get to look for? And I, and I went through some of your mentions and I want to point a couple of these out because I thought these were pretty entertaining and I could totally, and I was, that's why I was laughing because I could see stories or, or segments out, yeah. of talk being, you know, focused on these, but, um, articles about a video tweet, yeah, like, right. yeah. like, uh, Lauren, someone, Lauren Elizabeth, um, and the, again, these are responses to your tweet about OTAs being overrated um, and what overrated storylines we can look forward to. And, and Lauren, someone to Lauren Elizabeth said uh, vids of Dalton Kincaid catching passes from Josh Allen, mm -hmm. um, Mr. Snow, <laughs> whether Spencer Brown could be the all bro he's expected to be. Yeah. Somebody oh, I can see a lot of articles of like, oh man, Spencer Brown looks great. He's gonna have that big leap of a year. He looks real great in shorts. Right. <laughs> I'm just laughing just because some people took the context of what you were saying and had fun with it. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Some people weren't being serious. Uh, our guy Bruce Nolan over at Buffalo Rumblings. This is a good one. Justin yeah. Shorter. I think a lot's going to be written about him just because of how he physically looks and, and moves. So there'll and be a he's lot. He's going to be an OTA. I mean, if you're going to succeed in OTA and in shorts, you're going to be a Justin Shorter. Right? Absolutely, man. So I, I do think he's going to be an OTA and maybe even a training camp star for sure. Yeah. Um, Adam Run Strong, he wrote, <laughs> this is another good one. Every pass from Josh slightly off mark and what it implies about the health of his elbow or his <laughs> mentals of his breakup. Oh, yeah, be, oh, yeah. breakup he's yeah. just, he's not, he's not his in. head's not in it. Yeah, yeah. He's not focused. He's, you yeah. know, he's going around golf tournaments and, and shit like that. Kentucky yeah. Derby. He doesn't care about football no more. <laughs> Too much. Trouble. Um, yeah. The good chip. This one I can see kind of happening too. He says, um, either Epinesa or boogie shows up in the best shape of their life and, and look extremely fast off the edge. Totally can see that. You know, he looks in shape this year. He's mm -hmm. ripped. He's moving real fast. Uh, the Devin coming. Singletary picture a couple of years ago where he's all jacked up and then nothing, oh, yeah. nothing changed. <laughs> right. And then, and, and again, I'm not 
worried about this either. Yeah. But a lot of people said, and some jokingly and some serious, because I do think this is at least, uh, if there is a talking point worth it with this OTA, and we don't know, well, you'll know when you're listening to this or watching this tomorrow, but uh, if Stefan Diggs is going to be there or not. Right. Again, not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal one way or the other. That said, I'm not going to lie, I'd like to see him there. Sure. You know, the way the season ended, uh, just some of the frustration that he was very visibly had. And I know he's still staying in shape. He's working out. He's going to be fine. Yeah. But I'd like to see him get into OTAs, get a little chemistry going with, with, with Josh T-shirts and shorts. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? So I think there's a little bit of substance to that one, whether he's going to be there or not. You agree? No. I don't. I mean, yes, preferably everybody's there and everybody, everything's fantastic and everybody's hanging out and they're playing Call of Duty and slapping butts and uh, it's all fun and games, but I don't care and I don't think it has any impact on anything that happens for the 2023 season. Uh, he's going to show up and put in work when it's when he needs to. I the the probably the player that I'm least concerned about being ready is Stephon Diggs. Mm -hmm. um, he he knows where he's at in this point in his career. Just go listen to that DeAndre Hopkins uh, interview and how he talks about OTAs. I think a lot of people feel that same way in the league and Diggs deservedly doesn't have to be there. Like he's right. done, he has proven himself in the league. You know, like you said, you know, he's going to be ready. He's going to be in shape to go and training camps long. He's got plenty of time to get on the same page with Josh Allen. So I'm not worried about it. Not worried about the relationship. Winning will fix everything. They'll be back in just fine. Uh, but yeah, no, um, if he shows up, fantastic. It's better. We don't have to talk about it. But I have ze absolutely zero concern if he's there. What are, with, with again, the understanding that OTAs for the most part are what they are, but overrated or whatever, what are one or two things maybe that you are most interested between this week and the next couple of weeks that, uh, or just things between now and training camp in general when it comes to the Bills? What are one or two things that you are most interested in? Again, roster, um, Positional battles, they're not going to be won in May or June. Mm -hmm. So I know that you know that. But that said, maybe one or two interesting things involving the Bills that uh, kind of perk you up a little bit, if anything. For OTAs? OTAs, minicamp, man, maybe mini mandatory minicamp. You know. I think the things that are going to really start uh, perking me up again is when we get to camp, um, you know, what's this defense look like? Mm-hmm. How does Sean McDermott's version of this defense differ from Leslie Frazier's? And are we going to see it real early on? And is it going to be a dramatic difference in philosophy? Uh, this, the like signing of a Taylor Rapp type thing. How are they going to implement that safety? You know, we just, just brought in Dean Marlowe again yesterday. So they're, they're pretty flush in depth at this safety position. What are they thinking there? How are they going to do that? Speak on that. Dean Martin. The, um, I, I guess he's just could be just a training camp body, but I mean, yeah. you got Foyer, you got, you got rap, you, you got Hamlin, mm -hmm. you got Cam Lewis. Yep. You got Marlowe. It's a lot of safeties. Yeah. But safeties too. Think about how, how thin that got a year ago. Sure. Right. Like going into the training camp, having all those guys on your roster gives you the flexibility to one, have the depth where you don't have to run Jordan Poirier and Micah Hyden on the ground over the summer. Right. We don't want to do that. They, they I think that's going to be the biggest case of load management. We're going to see is absolutely safeties. I saw already know what Jordan last year. Yeah, they know what they're no. doing. Take it easy. Have a nice summer. Wear your bucket hats. Chill out. Like, don't go crazy. So I think you're going to need some depth there. And then uh, Dean Marlowe, there's a good chance he's that practice squad vet. 
you know, that you just have hanging out because safety depth really depleted last year where you were down, you were playing guys. Jaquan Johnson doesn't deserve snaps at safety in the NFL. You're playing some guys that just, you know, Cam Lewis being put in the position to have to play safety. Just, I don't know. You want to be able to be past that. And so having this types of depth, I think gives you that ability and allows you to have a little bit more flexibility with not putting the pressure on Poyer and Hyde to do so much this summer and getting ready. I like Cam Lewis. I like his story. I root for him to succeed, but him having to play safety and start a safety against the Minnesota Vikings was a big reason why they lost that game straight up. And it's ultimately a big reason why they didn't get home field advantage throughout the playoffs because they lost that game. Um, Vaughn, we're not going to, you're going to get a lot of vanilla talk about Vaughn and you're not going to hear anything more than he's on schedule, but I'm interested over the next handful of weeks and months, see how he's moving around. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, I think this is maybe one of the most understated things about this Buffalo Bills team last year. I want to see Trey White moving around again at 100% speed, because I'll tell you what, if he's back to the way he was pre-injury, it's one of the best corners in the entire NFL. Mm -hmm. He was obviously, he came back last year and he was a shell of what he was before the injury. But I think that's just because it's maybe it's to be expected coming back from the injury. I by no means think he's what his career's washed up. No, yeah. I just think, you know what I'm saying? I want to it's see a, him 100% healthy and moving yeah. around like he did with confidence, like he did before the injury. I think that's something that I'm, if there is a storyline that I care about right now with OTAs mm-hmm. and minicamp, I want to see Trey White moving around and I want to hear good reports about him. Yeah, this is a, a one for me that is one of my most frustrating conversations that I have about football and injuries is because we've seen people come back way sooner than they should and come back and play well. Really, Adrian Peterson ruined ACL Mm -hmm. injuries and the expectation of those years ago with how people should recover from them. Because honestly, you know, we had this conversation with Harrison Phillips when he tore his and everybody expected him to come right back right away. And it took a full year and a half. Trey White was the same thing last year. People were so frustrated that he barely passed the deadline of a year. And people were getting like, he doesn't love football. He doesn't care enough to get out there. And it's like, dude, I heard we heard that less than a year from a full, it's still a major surgery, getting ACL surgery. We don't think of it as a major surgery anymore. I think people kind of think of it as like almost, uh, you know, just our operation and you're back within a year or, or less. That's not true. And when you are back, you're not back to the person you were before. It takes at least a full year and a half, if not two years. So just, I don't know why we still have this conversation and don't think about that. The way people are talking about Trey White absolutely drove me bananas last year. Like you can't say a guy doesn't care because he's worried about his body and doesn't want to rush back from an injury too quick and further hurt himself in his prime. Like that would have been absolutely stupid. So you got to wait for a guy to be ready. I think there's a lot of expectation. A guy like Vaughn is going to come back early because he talks about it. You see the videos. He looks good. I think we need to anticipate that even if he does come back, that he isn't going to be the 100% Vaughn Miller that we saw last year he'll still be better than any defensive end that the bills have but it's going to take a little bit of time and to that point i think the way we look at trey white at the end of the year last year um there's a lot of context in how he looked right the safety play behind him very questionable at the end of the year which matters right when trey white's playing at his best it's also when mike hyde and jordan poyer playing at their best there's no uh there's a correlation there you know in how everybody plays also we know you know, I think everybody tries to say what's more important, more important coverage or pass rush, you know, getting to the quarterback or, or playing good in coverage. And it's both. The answer is both. They all work together. It depends on the play. It works in unison. And the Bills defensive pressure really dropped when Von Miller went out. And then Trey White came back right when Von Miller went out. You saw the drop 
and QB pressures and getting to the quarterback, you're going to see an increase in production behind that. Uh, and then you add in the safety problems and him recovering from injury. I think it was just a perfect storm of, if it, for fans, it doesn't look like the Trey White that we're used to. It doesn't feel like the Trey White we're used to, but he made plays. He made plays where he got beat, came back and broke up the play. He was right there step for step with guys. I thought I saw enough from Trey to feel like, okay, if we get the safety back and we can get some pressure with defense, Trey's going to go right back into where he was. And again, giving him the liberty of having that full year, year and a half of recovery behind him. Uh, Trey, I get why people want to see it. I think you're right. I think that's probably one of the better storylines of this period is seeing him move around and having that confidence. But I'm still fully confident in Trey returning to the player that he was pre-injury. I am too. Um, yeah, that started last year. Once that buy came, and he because everybody said he'll be back after that yes. buy, and when it didn't happen, that's when um, some of the idiots came out of the woodwork. I'll admit it though, I, I agree with you. I think who plays behind him matters, and he just wasn't a hundred percent last year. Sure. That Cincinnati game, I remember that that Monday night game. You know, it didn't last long, but he got cooked early in that mm -hmm. game, and it, it was worrisome. But sure. yeah. I think he's one of the best corners. He is one of the best corners in the NFL uh, when healthy. Before we wrap up in a few minutes here with our uh, our fill-in-the-blank questions at the end, without getting into like an extensive discussion on it, I'm sure we could do that another day. But again, we're kind of sticking with this OTAs for the most part overrated theme today. But is there one or two guys that you could think of that maybe even starting this week between now and when the pads go on in training camp? Although you're not really going to prove anything until the pads come on. But generally speaking, like who do you think has the most to prove right now? Like you look at this roster, a couple guys that you're like, yo, you really, we get, we got to see more. You got a lot to prove right now. Who are one or two guys that you can come up with? Uh, well, so what you're not going to get in the, really till the pads come on is along the line. You're not going to be able to see anything like Spencer sure. Brown's not going to pop until the pads come on. AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, but those are all guys that I need at Oliver that as training camp ramps up, I, I really need to see that they're taking some kind of step forward. Uh, but that those will be later in terms of the, maybe you'll see something in these other periods of time. Uh, Gabe Davis would yeah. be one. How, how is he being, what routes is he running in the stuff? Is it all the same? Just go route stuff. Is he clamping the ball? Like, has he changed some of how he catches? How is his usage? Uh, Khalil Shakir. You know where he's at. I think he's had a weird off season in that they brought in Hardy and paid him pretty decently. Sure. And so you're expecting that there's going to be some level of production or, or or number of touches that are going his way that maybe we thought we were going to go Shakir's way. So where's he at in his development? I think that'll be a big storyline coming up. I'm trying to think, you know, obviously Kincaid's going to be a huge story in anything that he does and where he's lining up. Uh, trying to anyone else? Maybe Kyrie Elam is a sneaky one in that, that, you know, year two is expected that he's really going to solidify that starting role. We saw him finish the year strong, make a real case to be cornerback too, but Dane Jackson's still on this team and they do believe in him. And Christian Benford won that starting job over Kyrie Elam in training camp a year ago. Can he keep that off? Can he maintain, you know, hit the ground running where he took off last year? I don't know if you'll find that out in this period of time, but those are some of the guys that I'll be watching more of the skill position stuff and maybe what that running back rotation looks like early stuff like that. But again, they could come out and Latavius Murray could, or, you know, Harris could be taking those RB one reps. That doesn't mean anything. 
right? Like this time of year, it could just be, Hey, we're giving it to the older guy to start just because that's the way the running back room wants to run it. Right. So it's more movement. How are guys moving? Where's guys confidence? Uh, you know, are they making plays on the ball when it's in the air? Stuff like that. Uh, so mostly at the skill positions for me. She cares. The guy w- when you were naming some guys that, that, that pops out for me as well. Um, him and Hardy, that could be an interesting little battle. Whether it's for that slot position when they're not playing with two tight ends or they're going four receiver um, sets, I, I could see that brewing skill position wise. When the pad comes on, that that you know that's that's a that's a different story. Doesn't feel like there's a lot of. It feels like there's a a good handful of depth battles that we're going to see this mm-hmm. summer. Doesn't necessarily feel like there's a lot of roster position fifty three men battles. I mean, you might see one or two that you don't see coming or whatever. It like, won't be won't for be- starting spots necessarily be for like percentages of rotations right like i think your starters for the most part middle linebackers questionable right um sure who's starting next to Groot while vaughn uh recovers might be one but outside of that it's really gonna be uh what are the percentages on the rotations for shakir for hardy stuff like Mm -hmm. that um so kind of refining the edges and pat i'm gonna keep going back to right after the Bengals game to now the number one priority for me for the Buffalo Bills offseason wasn't acquisition of players. It wasn't who are they going to draft? It was uh, how is Ken Dorsey going to evolve this offense? How is Sean McDermott going to evolve this defense? How is the coaching staff going to change to get this team over the hump? Because I think they've had all the pieces all along. I, I, adding's cool. Getting guys, developing guys, all that stuff's cool. All of it matters. But none of it matters unless we see and what we see in the development of the coaching staff. And so it's always been the biggest priority for me this offseason. And even going into OTAs, we're not going to see it necessarily. We might not see it till training camp. But unless those things go in a positive direction, uh, it could be a very familiar year for our Bills fans. So we need to see them take the hump. And that's going to be a really hard one to necessarily pinpoint. I think that's going to be the weird thing for content creators and fans this this year is how do we judge early on those changes in the coaching staff and how they're going to play out in December, January, February? The other thing I wanted to bring up, but again, you, you got to wait for the pads to come on, man. It's what they're doing with Torrance. You know, right yep. away, stepping right away. It's, I don't think they're just going to hand him the starting guy, the guard job. They do have Bates, you know, and I know we mm-hmm. all see Bates as a super utility guy. And I do think that's how it's going to ultimately play out. But they're not just going to hand it to him. He's going to have to McGovern and Andrew and, we saw and, that and Edwards. Kyrie Elam was a first round pick and got beat yeah. up as six rounder last year. So you can't assume anything, especially mm-hmm. here when OTAs are just going on in uh yeah in May. All right, let's um wrap up with our finish the sentence segment. I got four. Usually I'll have a graphic if you're watching this on the YouTube side, at least anyway. I don't have any graphics this week, um, so I'm just going to read them off to you. I got four of them for you. And again, these are just opportunities, little fun facts to get to know. Uh, Aaron and myself a little bit more here. So um, let's start here. A TV show instantly recognizable based on just one quote or catchphrase is blank. Uh, winter is coming. That's a good one. Game of Thrones. Uh, my of Thrones. honorable mentions were uh, two from The Simpsons. Doe. Don't, <laughs> ha- don't have a cow, man. was huge back in the 90s. It was. Uh, and then how you doing? <laughs> friends. <laughs> <laughs> those are ones that just I mean when you had that question, those are all the three that came to mind. No, those but are all good ones. How about you? Um, I feel like I go to the office all the time, but Michael Scott saying that's what she said. Everybody I was gonna do it, but it's so obvious. It is, it, it is obvious. And then one that just literally popped in my mind just minutes ago, actually, when I looked at the question. I don't you I guess you would have had to have watched the Flintstones, but when Fred would always yell, Wilma, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so right away you would know that was uh the Flintstones. Mm -hmm. All right, those are good ones. Second one, my favorite summertime drink is blank. Uh I'm assuming you meant adult beverages here. Yeah, adult beverages. Well, I guess not automatically, but that that was what I was thinking when I I don't drink it. much anymore. Uh, to me, I used to be a big beer guy. I can't do it as much anymore. Um, so I don't drink a ton, not a big liquor person. So my answer was nitro cold brew. I love like a hot afternoon and having just a nice nitro cold brew. But if it's alcohol, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be like a really nice sour beer. Just a big cup of uh, sour beer would be my bag in the summer. When you do have beer. Are you a craft beer type of guy? Yeah. Like my man, like my man, we're two different people here. Like um, Joe, Buffalo Wins, mm -hmm. he's he's a craft guy. Like he's got to go to the breweries yes. and, and get all the craft beers. That's what you are. So, I am the opposite. I'm that domestic, give me the cheap ass $4, 22 yeah. ounce Miller Lite special all the time. So a little backstory, uh, Pat, that you, you might not know for me. I uh, worked before I had kids. I worked at Kegworks over on mm. military um, and I was a homebrew instructor. I was in homebrew clubs. I've brewed a ton of my own beer. Um, I am a certified Cicerone server, although not anymore. It's gone away. But I uh, mm. uh, was training to be a certified beer judge. Very into the beer scene. Lovecraft beer, making it, trying it, judging it, all that stuff. Uh, but years ago, man, my weight went through the roof yeah. when I was a beer dude. And cause I like the big stouts and all these big beers and stuff. And I honestly, I had to pull all the way back because I can't just do it a little bit here and there. <laughs> uh, and so I pulled all the way back. I still love it. I still love the process. I still love all that stuff. I'll still have one once in a while, but yeah, no domestic beers that throw that cheap shit. Uh, uh, see, I'm, I'm a cheap shit guy, man. Uh, Give me that. I know I get it. It's that. not for everybody. So my answer would be Bush light, but that's my 12 month a year beer or Coors light. Or Bud Light. I just like the light, cheap Miller Light. What about uh, summer? Do you ever do the um, Genesee grapefruit, the ruby red grapefruit Nate Geary loves so much? I, I have not. I have not. You know what? Try I it. just say this out there because he puts it out there. He's bartending at Fatty Beer Company now. Yes. Part time anyway. Yeah. I'm going to have to go out and see him. And I've never had that beer, but I'm going to go there and meet up with him all saturdays he's like every time I'm, I, I keep trying to get him to go hit a bucket of balls with me because he said yeah. he talks about being such a great golfer and i'm terrible <laughs> uh but every saturday he's working so get head down to fatties on saturday yeah all right so anyway I, i'm not gonna say bush light though i actually i that is i will pop a i'll get a corona or corona light i should say and pop a lime in there during the summer that's the one time a year like i'm down to drink um some uh coronas anyway all right next one two more here my favorite nighttime snack is blank. Ice cream. Yeah. Pat. Anything specific though? Yeah. No, I had uh, preferably with peanut butter and chocolate and other yeah. stuff's cool too, but peanut butter chocolate together is like death to me. I, I just love that stuff so much and ice cream. And here's a, a thing about me. That's a little weird with ice cream. I like to soften it up a little bit. So if it's in the freezer, like I'll, I'll hit it in the microwave for like 10 seconds just to soften it up a little bit, get down. But dude, I can eat a whole dude. I, Back in the day, I would get out of work. I'd go to the convenience store, grab a Ben and Jerry's pint and just put that thing down. Like yeah. not even it would just gone. I'm I'm a I'm a eat a Ben and Jerry's in one sitting kind yeah. of guy, man. I don't don't I don't have a couple of scoops and put it back in the freezer. If I yeah. open it, I take that lid off. It's especially the ones with like the cores in them. They just it just <laughs> makes you want to eat more. 
My, my, my specifically is ice cream sandwiches, but I can't keep them in the house Ooh. anymore because I'm trying to intermittent fast now. Like I'm not eating five days a week right, right. after eight o'clock. I'm not eating anything. I literally will keep ice cream sandwiches in the freezer. I'll get up at one, two, three, whatever it is in the morning. I get up a couple times a night. I'm a terrible sleeper. I got a baby bladder. Mm-hmm. I literally will get up, go to the bathroom, take an ice cream sandwich, eat it. You're talking about like the, morning. the basic, like the beggar, the ones, old traditional, old the ones school. you get at school. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You get a 12 yeah, bag at Wegmans for like three bucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My kids love them. And so we have them around a bunch. Yeah. And uh, if I'm really struggling with my diet, uh, one thing you'll catch me doing sometimes is taking an ice cream sandwich and slathering a layer of peanut butter across the top <laughs> and eating it. Pat, don't knock it. It ain't good for you. Your doctor will probably hate you, uh, but it's delicious. <laughs> good little snack. I have no willpower. So I literally, if I'm serious about trying to be on a diet, which I am right now, like I cannot keep popping the house. I will drink it. Yeah. I cannot have ice cream sandwiches in the freezer. I will eat them all. Unfortunately, my son is like a healthy eater and drinker. So it's like, I'm not denying him stuff by not having yeah. that in there. So anyway, my answer was ice cream sandwiches. All right. Last one. Something you'll never do again in your life is blank. Dude. I, Honestly, would have to put like a if there's things that I I made, <laughs> dude I've made so many mistakes in my life like and I've had some real bad years uh, and so there there's a lot of things and a lot of them I can't even talk about I would get mm-hmm. it would get uh, you would be demonetized on YouTube unfortunately <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna keep it very friendly and polite and it was uh, for me it's hopefully never getting married again yeah. I love my wife she is my absolute best friend and I hope that's that's my life partner for life. I don't, I don't ever want to do it again. Um, or have any more kids. Those two things. I'm all set with any more kids, man. Good with kids. I'm, I'm too old to be uh, yeah. having any more kids. So I'm definitely good with kids there. Mine is something simple and light, but you, you might laugh. I will never go on a Ferris wheel again, ever. Okay. I am okay. horrified. I'm scared of heights. Yep. And to me, like I could go on the biggest roller coaster. Cause I know it's going to be over fast and it goes so quick. That doesn't scare me as much. Going on a Ferris wheel and you get to the very top and you're kind of it hanging out scares the shit out of me. I close my eyes. I hold the thing as tight as possible. And now I'm just like, fuck it. I'm never going to do that stupid shit yeah. again. I'm horrified of heights. So never, ever, ever going to be. And you'll never see Pamaran at Darien Lake on a Ferris wheel in your life. <laughs> I, um, I <laughs> real quick, though, by the way, I saw this too. And we're getting out of here. Um, Quick little music fun fact. We're both music guys. Only let me read this to you. Only three albums, and this was fascinating. Only three albums in music history have spent their first eleven weeks at the number one spot on the Billboard 200 album chart. Uh, Whitney Houston's "Whitney," Stevie Wonder's "Songs in the Key of Life," and now just this past week, Morgan Wallen's "One Thing at a Time." You know, I hear about this guy all the time. I think I might have heard a song of his. Not into him. Don't really know him well. But holy shit, man, this guy's popular, dude. 11 straight weeks at number one. Only the third artist in the history of the Billboard. You know, it's kind of why I feel so disconnected from anything that is going on in the real world. I've never heard that name until just now. Are you kidding me? Not even once. Wow, that's even worse than me. And I'm terrible with knowing new music. I I hear his name all the time. Never heard it. I don't watch TV like I only watch mm-hmm. sports, um, so I wouldn't catch it there. I'm on Twitter, so maybe I thought maybe I catch it there. I don't know. I I'm very like I got some blinders on when it comes to music. I'm in my own Spotify <laughs> algorithm do. and it only kicks it. My Spotify algorithm is not. I'm assuming this is a country guy. 
He is a because I don't guy. know about him. Yeah, right. nah, my Spotify is not going to give me any. I'm not going <laughs> to. That's not going to be on my radar at all. Uh, and Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life. I might go listen to that today just because this came up. That's by far the best album on here. Um, what a fantastic album that was. Yeah, it was. And I've heard of Morgan Wall. Just there's some new rappers that at least you know of that I guarantee you that I don't. So sure, uh, yeah, it's yeah. just the way it goes. Aaron and I are not the people to talk to when it comes to uh, new music. But officially, anyway, I'm that. I'm officially my parents now. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been my parents for years now. Yeah. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. Make sure you follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron Quinn seven one six. Check out Cover One Buffalo alongside his partner, Greg Thompson. Like I said, a great lineup. You can uh, go to the YouTube channel, get good content almost nightly there now at this point. Appreciate Thanks, buddy. It. Always good having you on, man. Yeah, man. Enjoy the weather today, buddy.